This is the Push Ship Podcast, a broad look at the hospitality industry. Welcome back, Post Shifters, and it's another episode of the Post Shift Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Sean Sewell. This week, I really enjoyed this episode. This is with Sterling Grice of Part and Parcel and Foo Fame. Um, I would class him as a good friend and a peer here in Victoria. And we got a little bit down to uh, something that I've been talking to about like, a lot lately is uh, dealing with success and, of course, the uh, failure that comes along with that because a lot of times people don't understand that out of all the successes we have, uh, failure is sometimes just around the corner. So we had a good chat about that, about his plans for the future and all the things that he's accomplished here in Victoria in the last like 10 to 15 years. Um, so I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you, everybody, for the support that I've got over the last uh, couple of months. I really appreciate it going into the Christmas season. I've got a lot of things planned for 2020. Um, so I really hope you enjoy this episode because I really enjoyed taping it. Uh, I'll chat to you guys soon. Bye. I usually stop by and just introduce yourself. My name is Sterling Rice. Uh, I guess I'm a Victoria restaurateur. Started the game when I was 14 years old as a busboy at Patty Joe's 24 hour truck stop. Where's that? It's in Campbell, it's not anywhere anymore, but it was in Campbell River. That's where, really? I, that's where I'm from. 24 hour truck stop. Oh, yeah. And I started serving at age 15 and got bumped up to the graveyard shift. <laughs> At age 15. Bumped up to the graveyard shift like <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was the worst. Like, you know, 15 dealing with, like, tables of a, a drunk restaurant, man. Like, when the bars would let out, where else are you going to go? There was nowhere else. So, really? So the whole place would fill up, and I'd have half the restaurant, which is probably, you know, 18 tables of drunk, drunk, impatient people. It was really wow. challenging. Wow. Yeah. So when did you move to Victoria? I went to uh, Vancouver first, actually. I lived okay. in Vancouver for six or seven years, and I moved here in 2007, I believe. Okay. So, around yeah. about the same time I moved to, to Victoria, I came yeah. here in 2006. Oh, sorry. My bad. 1997. <laughs> <laughs> Ten years before you. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, yeah. How old were you when you moved here? Early 20s, like 23, I think. Okay. 22, 24, somewhere. And I have to do the math in my head, and I'm a little groggy right now, so. So, what places do you own currently? Uh, I have partners, but uh, I'm a partner in Part and Parcel and Foo Asian Street Food. And we have a Foo in Calgary as well. And how's the one in Calgary doing? Not so well. <laughs> yeah. Is, the, is it? I think it's the hottest chef market out there too right now, isn't it? No, we have not. You know, I, that's what I thought would be the problem, yeah. but Mark is paying, whoops, paying our cooks there less by a fair margin than we yeah. pay them here. It's just, I don't know how they're all working for what they're working out there. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That has not been our problem. We've had other problems. That's not the one. So would you say you're a cereal restaurateur? I would say I was a cereal restaurateur, but for the last number of years, whenever anyone's approached me about partnering up or sitting down to pick my brain for their project, I always say don't do it. And do you think there's a do you think there's a fake environment when it comes to the majesty that is restaurant owning? I think there is a uh, a picture that everyone sees and uh, believes, and it is not real. Uh, you know, there's a glamour to what we do. And don't get me wrong, I've had a lot of fun. Like, I mean, a lot of fun. I'm sure you did too. You know, like I worked in nightclubs and uh, even the first few restaurants, like hanging out with all these young people, you know, <laughs> learning about food and booze. Yeah. It's a real fun thing. But let me tell you, uh, it's not a, it doesn't create a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. And uh, today, modern restaurants, it's so difficult to make a go. The margins are... The startup 
cost, capital you need to have to start a business, and then operating expenses. Like it, it's a lot of money, and I'm sure you know better than anyone else. The margins just aren't there. Uh, you know, we sold over 1.7 million dollars for our one foo last year. And if you did that in any other business, you know, you'd own houses, and yeah. but the margins just yeah. aren't there. You know, like a, a really well-oiled machine, like uh, you know, like a Cactus Club or Earls, make four percent of their sales. Yeah, right? like, yeah. I, th- I think I think when it comes to startup costs, a lot of people, and I've been one of them, a lot of the times, is like you underestimate just purely how much capital you need to have once you open. Mm. Every a lot of business plans I've seen and, and read over and stuff now, and I think. Every time I have horrible failures, I can put that to some sort of success later on. And the more and more I see is that uh, people look at, oh, this is my setup cost. I'm like, okay, well, where's your rent for six months after exactly. you open? Oh, but we've been making money. I'm like, no, 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 where's your rent for six months after you open? Where's your labor for the first three months? Where is your your phone bills and stuff for the first couple of months? Like, And you break it down backwards from like probably six to 12 months out after you open, down. And I think the under, under, underestimation is that it does get it does get that glamorous thing, and I think I think we're passionate people. Like, I always talk about like hospitality being a different industry. Like you were saying, one point seven million dollars and slim margin at the end is like we. I think as hospitality people, we put passion before business more often than not. Absolutely. You know, you buy it this month, and you go, oh no, I'll do that event. I'm not going to make any money from that event because it'll be really cool. Next love month, the, they'll catch up. It's love, it's love of the game, man. That's yeah. exactly what it is. You know, we do it because we love it. We love people. We love the action, music, food. I mean, it's a lot of good things to love. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, I just don't think it works out as often as... Uh, I don't know if you know my, ever knew my friend Tom Ferris, but uh, he had offered to lend us some money when we were opening food. And then he sat down and looked at my business plan, and he's like, Sterling... You know, I really want to help you. You guys don't have your rent for yeah. the next six months. You, you have no operating capital. You have no runway. Uh, so if I gave you the money I was going to give you, which was $25,000, yeah. he's like, it's just throwing the money away. Like, I so want to help you. And when we opened Foo, we had like $40 in the bank, which was ridiculous. Like, don't do it. It's not the smart way to do business. But, you know, we were young and we wanted to do it so bad. And, you know, like in those days I was working like 80 hours a week, you know. How long has Foo been open now? A it's decade. A wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, it's a little restaurant that keeps on going, really. Yeah, that's impressive. Good space, too. I think you locked out a lot with that space. The location yeah. was pretty killer. Yeah. It, again, like, I'll show you the pictures of before and after. Oh, it was I've the seen, ugliest those, thing, yeah. man. But, what was uh, it before? It was part of the liquor store, wasn't it? It used to be a liquor store, yeah. yeah. So it was just basically one giant fridge. Yeah. That's true. Like the, we, the whole place was insulated for a fridge. And if you look at the roof of the, of the kitchen, you can see the, the fridge insulation still. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Ten years. That's crazy. That's insane. So after after food, you were still working at Brasserie. I think this is another thing that like goes back to that romancing of like, uh, romancing in the industry. Like everybody assumes that you're going to be wearing a smoking jacket, and I've had partners myself who think they should be wearing smoking jackets and touching tables and kissing babies. Um, you were still working Brasserie full time, well after food opened. Uh, I was, but. This goes back for me further because I was a partner in the Mint when we opened. That's correct. And I, I think I worked, when we first launched, we were open for lunch, which I didn't agree with, but partners, you sometimes uh, get outvoted. But I worked three weeks straight, 18 hours a day, and I didn't get a paycheck. Yeah. So I was, you know, you were talking about your mistakes you make and learning and 
turning them into victories. So I basically worked really hard, and I just never wanted to be that poor or do without again in my life. So, yeah. and you know, brasserie has pretty much given me everything. I love the brass, but. Uh, you know, it was a place where I could promote every business I've ever done since, right? Well, it's actually where the Succession episode came out of, because I went in for dinner a couple of weeks ago, and I was chatting to Mark just gleefully, and he, Mark, Mark's wanted to sell brasserie for, like, a decade. <laughs> like, it's always, like, a size, how much you, how much you, how much you give me? Um, and I actually asked him, I was like, what is your actual, like, serious Succession plan? Right. Like, and I think as restaurant tours, like you're what mid forties now, yeah, ish. I'm going on forty next year. Um, there's a certain point, like we can't all be Greg Hayes, and, right? Like, although he has a really good succession plan already, but like, um, I think that's where that romance comes back. It's like, oh, I'll just be keep, I'll just keep working Friday nights and Saturday nights. I'm like, yeah, but you have three kids now, and you've missed a ton, right? Well, not just that, but the body. Like, yeah. by my end of brass, like, my knees were giving out, my back was giving out. Like, I remember heading to the kitchen once with the big, heavy plates, and both my knees gave out, and I caught myself on the bar, you know what I mean? It was, thank God I didn't go down in the restaurant, but you just can't do those kind of hours. No, and the, and the body, like, I feel it now. I, I feel like everybody's like, you can't, you shouldn't be hurting, you're only 40. And I'm like, yeah, but I've been working 100 hours a week for, like, since I was 20. I'm yeah. like, uh, working behind a bar 12 to 15 hours a day for six years when I was at Clive's and stuff like that. I'm like, it takes a toll on everything. Absolutely. Like, and I'm 6'5". Well, but, <laughs> oh, God. But, you know, not, not only that, but... The, the, you know the work life balance you don't have so you're not eating you're catching a meal you know the worst you never trash cans. right right <laughs> and how much like how, how much exercise are you, yeah. are you getting done like it's just it doesn't breed a healthy lifestyle well everybody assumes like I, I, I remember seeing a couple of servers that get Fitbits when they first came mm-hmm. and they're like oh I did 12,000 steps I'm like but you're doing the exact same thing your body doesn't respond to doing the exact same exactly. thing every single day your body just gets used to it you're not actually straining your body at all well that's why like, you, when you program the thing it goes uphill downhill yeah, yeah. you know so when it comes to um, like work-life balance do you feel like you've got work-life balance now <laughs> no not at all still no no you know after my last uh, failure it hit me pretty hard and uh, you know I kind of got knocked down low and I really haven't got back up entirely yet so do you feel like you were 18 months ahead of the curve for that <laughs> possibly have you been asked that question already? no no I mean I've definitely a few people who are insightful of you know we've discussed it a little bit but uh yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's hard. Like it's kind of like you know, we I was listening to your your podcast with Saul, and uh, you know when he opened his his bar, he was just ahead of the game. Like he yeah. was just like on the cusp. Yeah. It was so close. And if it in six months later, he would still be he'd be the institution yeah. right now. Yeah. Like uh, if he had like seventy five grand more in capital, right? He would have been like he definitely would have spurred it. Well, that's the other problem is we, again, I rolled the dice and I was, we were undercapitalized and, you know, we were really hitting big numbers. We were getting between 15 and 20 new customers a day and we were just racing against our our capital and and we lost, so. And Ghost Kitchens, like every freaking article I see on my Facebook feed now and LinkedIn and stuff is about the, the toll Ghost Kitchens are taking on the restaurant industry and stuff like that. But you as a massive opponent for... He was a massive opponent for um, uh, like actual living wages for chefs, and that sort of thing. Like that's the real reason. Well, one of the big reasons you sort of started 
Well, that, that's the, the rest. You said, you, as you said, the restaurant model's broken mm-hmm. in a big way. Like the the, the minimum wage is going up for hospitality workers. But Pe- people don't want to pay any more food, any for their food. You know, listen. The, the reason I took the failure, I'm using failure air quotes here. You can't see them, people, but uh, it's because I feel I let down the industry. I feel I let down the cooks because, yeah, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, disrupt the broken industry and, and help it find find its feet in a healthy way for everyone. Like, you know, my my staff was getting 25% above yeah. and, you know, they were working four-day work weeks because I really want this industry to continue and I want it to be healthy and I want people that do it, who do it for passion, not get burnt out and move on to another job because they have no choice. You know, I, I want to create sustainability, but, you know, I really wanted to take care of the people. That's... And, and I feel like when I failed, I failed for all of them, you know, because I, you know, it was pretty public too. I, yeah. I've been on CBC a couple of times <laughs> talking about how the industry's broken. And, then and of course, as soon as, as soon as it happens, everybody that was a detractor in the beginning is like, see, I told you so. Well, I, I imagine no one said it to my face, but I imagine it's <laughs> happening behind my back. Yeah. It happened to me after FEW. It's like, oh, another fancy cocktail place goes under because it's too expensive. And I'm like, um, that's not actually what happens. Well, that's it. And I loved you. I've loved everything you've done, to be honest. <laughs> and I, I think, uh, I continue to talk about resilience because I, I do want to try and get away from that um, that fake glamour of the Food Network Gordon Ramsay thing. Like I laugh because everybody's like, oh, "Look, Gordon Ramsay, he's a successful restaurant." I'm like, "Yeah, but he's successful because he has 50 restaurants. That's when like you literally need to have 50 restaurants. That's right to be successful." One restaurant tour is not successful with one restaurant. Well, I mean, like, you need to have multiple, multiple restaurants. The business model with Fu is, you know, we thought we'd franchise and we'd have multiple locations. And, you know, you take a little bit from them all and yeah. all those little bits add up to a decent living yeah. wage, right? I mean, yeah, but it doesn't always work out that way. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Are you thinking about franchising Fu still? Oh, I think it's too late, unfortunately. That's what I learned from Calgary. You know, our original game plan, uh, I sent my, my general manager, who's no longer my general manager, he's a really smart guy, his name's Sam, and I sent him out to help my best friend Mark open the foo. And my game plan was that we would use that foo to kind of make some innovative changes. And the ones that worked, we would bring back to Victoria. You know, the problem with foo, the problem, people love it and it's a great, but it's just not what the food trends of today. People yeah. want local, people want lighter, healthier. Yeah. So I kind of was hoping we would start a more seasonal menu there. And But my business partner, Mark, best friend, he wanted the menu that has worked and yeah. is working. So there, there we go. It, it, it's the nature of the beast. And I think there's always uh, this rotation. Of, uh, what's your opinion on a lot of these Vancouver establishments making their way into Victoria? Because down the corner there, you've got... Um, What's the ice cream place? Black, the Black Cone ice right. cream place. Yeah, you got Virtuous Pie coming. Yeah, Virtuous Pie. You got Tractor, which apparently is. I just read about that this morning. It's a. Um, I've, I've eaten a Tractor. Yeah, yeah. I actually, yeah. Really, I really like the concept of Tractor. And that's moving into the old Sam's Deli space, mm-hmm. which is that's a upsetting that the institution left. But again, mm-hmm. I, I think when you see places like Sam's Deli go out of like, like. Well, I remember eating at Sam's Deli when I was like six. Yeah, you know. Yeah, when you see stuff seeing that, you have to start seeing is like. I think Pags will struggle, is struggling with it with a little bit of like how much can you raise your prices right. that people won't go nuts um, but how much do you need to raise your prices to actually like afford everything else because rent is ridiculous in the city and so what's your opinion on Vancouver restaurants making uh, this sort of way into Victoria I've got my own opinion and I'm very open with mine well uh, 
I'm diplomatic. It's maybe a bit of a problem. That's I kind of lay in the middle of the road a lot. Um, you know, meat and bread didn't work out right because we already had our own local version of meat and bread. Um, but when it was coming, I thought it was amazing. Like I went to meat and bread when it was open for one week in Vancouver. I loved yeah. it. But again, I, I think food has changed. Um, but it's really hard when you move into a place and you don't have local roots. Victoria doesn't support you, uh, and it's hard. Victoria is clicky as hell. Well, again, I think a big part of my success is, you know, I've had roots yeah. and ground-level promotion, you know, and people want to support you, and, you know, I, I think my Facebook or social media is promoting more other people than promoting myself, you know, and I'm part of our community, and thankfully the community has always supported me here. I, I remember when I first took over Clive's and Souls was still open, and the amount of people that would come in thought me and Soul were, like, like arch enemies, right? Because he's like the local like yeah. restaurant royalty, open like opened up his own place. That's the thing. And I'm this Australian interloper who's taken over a hotel bar and is trying to like one up Seoul. I'm like, um, like me and Seoul text every night. Like <laughs> we swap, we swap ingredients and stuff. Like <laughs> cross promotion, you know, nurturing. It's it's way better than. I, I, and I think that's always where. I'm going to say it because I always I laugh because sometimes I feel like Vancouver establishments come in to teach us yokels on Vancouver <laughs> Island how to dine. Um, and I'm always curious how they come in. I'm like, do you not spend like two weeks here and go to Oro right. and Brasserie? Like, I know people from Vancouver may see Brasserie as like the old hat in town. Sure. But I'm like, every time it's on point. I don't think I've ever had a bad experience at Brasserie in well, 15 years. As you know, I'm pretty biased to Brass. Yeah. It's probably my favorite restaurant in the city. But for me, it's kind of like going home, right? Like yeah. it's, you know. It's one of those places you can go. I take my boys there. I take uh, my wife there on a regular basis. Whenever me and the wife go out, we'll eat there. Sure. Olo and Zambri's are very close second, third on those points. But you have to understand Brass, Sean, when Sean was the chef there, he actually was innovative. Like he was the first one using Faro. Yeah. He was, you know, like he was using ancient grains for anyone else, but he did it really subtly. Like he still did his steak or whatever yeah. he did, but, you know, he, he just changed the accompaniments in a. Well, I think it's also uh, Brasserie's always been understated in everything they do. They do it because it's a good way of doing it, not because it's the new market trend or the new like Instagrammable crap. Like spending four months in Singapore this year, Instagrammable is a, is actually a I believe it a pitch when it comes to food and drink. It has to be Instagrammable. Singapore, the Asian market loves that sort of stuff, and so like you know you green a good cocktail that you just put on the menu of Pags or Clive's or Jumbo or wherever. And uh, well, they were taking photos of food before. I'm so by they, I'm not trying to be racist. I'm just like, what as a people, yeah. the Asian people took fo- photos of pictures before Instagram That's was even a thing. Order of hacks. Yeah. They come in and like, can I have this? Told, I, and literally just an Instagram post, and it's like, can I have this? And I'm like, okay, cool, you'll have a Sophia. Awesome. Well, <laughs> let me tell you, when it happens at Brass and the menu changes every day, it's more challenging. Yeah. Can I have that? Oh, that's, that's been off the menu for yeah, six months. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, how do you feel you've got? come back from where you were after I, I think you reflected on, a, on something that like you're obviously I started to work through and reflecting on what happened with what was it called again sorry talking about Axio yeah Axio yeah how, how have you and I know it's been like two years now <laughs> doesn't like, feel like it but uh, yeah. and trust me I, I the thing is everybody calls me resilient and persistent and all these sort of words I'm like I feel Jumbo took the wind out of me for a long time. Well, I remember seeing you a year later, and, you know, I consider you a friend, and I, I don't know what we... Little things can bring out the, the, the toxic yeah. hurt, you know, like, because it was still... It still does. Yeah. Even now. It's yeah. been five years, six years, five years, and it still does. Um, but the thing is, like, 
after FEW, I sort of took it a little bit better, but like Jumbo put me in the hole. Like I, the day we opened up Cafe Mexico was the day my two-year non-compete finished, where I wasn't like, which is I have to tell you, non-competes are like lethal. It, it, it's so unjust. I took it out of our partnership agreement at sorry at Part and Parcel just because out of respect for Grant, if this doesn't work out, do I want him to have to leave the city? Like it's just well, I wasn't allowed to work anywhere for three months. So I wasn't allowed to work anywhere in the Victoria CB, like the Victoria downtown area, for three months after everything happened. And, and they don't give you any money. It's but here you have to go live for we, three we, months. Yeah, we signed. We signed off. On, they paid me severance out over three months so that I could like, well, sort of for three months. Um, but uh, I signed it because my lawyer said that it would be a good move to like as a sign of good faith. Good faith. Um, but yeah, like even that, like those two months, those two years were really rough. The yeah. last two years, like FTW finished two years ago now, like literally next couple of days actually. Wow. But it's been a real quick two years because I think I just like pulled the band-aid off. Well, you also just hit the ground running, man. Like, you know, you've done some pretty cool stuff since. And don't get me wrong, I loved that bar. It was yeah. amazing. And I, I'm sure I didn't go as much as some people, but I went every time I went out, which isn't very often in my world. I loved it. But the, yeah, like for me, I, I had to, I promised myself I wouldn't fall in the same holes I did with Jumbo because right. I remember Jumbo those three months I literally I went from like 250 to 285 like like because all I did was I'd walk down to yeah, <laughs> I'd, walk, I'd walk down to Churchill and then just drink all day and then wait for my wife to pick me up really healthy me not me not working <laughs> me not working is not a healthy yeah. thing um, so after FTW happened I sort of like okay well this isn't I'm not going to bounce back in this the same way that I did with Jumbo so I ripped the bandit off and just sort of fucking powered through but I think I, with that one, I put myself into a really deep hole of depression real quick, and then I pulled myself out. Well, it's good, I, but you know the difference as well. You know, you were done pretty personally, at little jumbo. You know what I yeah. mean? And you know the fact that you failed in the second one wasn't was really outside of your control. I mean, you know. Well, for me, uh, I think the the only solace I really had is that Jim Meehan, PDT famous Jim Meehan, mm-hmm. he had a place in Chicago for four months or six months, and it same thing leasing issues mm-hmm. happened and he like had to close it down I'm like oh and happens I just, to everyone I texted Jim I'm like are you okay and he's like yeah that was a rough one I was really enjoying this space uh, and we've talked a couple of times now since every, since we since everything and uh, I said the only on the only solace I had was that someone that is as amazing operator as you can still have hiccups like I did and that was one of the things I'm, I think with FTW I just focused on trying to figure out what the next step was and I was lucky enough Sol gave me something to keep my mind on sure. like it was hard for me to go work for my best friend <laughs> I have to imagine and Pierre I mean you know yeah so what did, what have what's now that you're sort of pulling yourself personally out like what if someone fails what I hate to say I hate to say these words it's a really shitty word to say like if someone like missteps on their business what's your best advice to sort of like get yourself out of it well the truth of the matter is I have, I've been talking to someone I'm you know I'm not saying everyone needs counseling but I, I did I was in a pretty dark place in, in fairness one of my closest friends did uh, take his own life and which I was already in a pretty dark place and that kind of spiraled me a little lower but uh, you know I don't know the answer, Sean. The truth of the matter is, you know, putting your when we open a, a restaurant or a bar, it's a, you put your entire yourself into it and like your entire heart. Like, and I really saw Axio what we are doing as 
the next thing, and I, I and I thought it was going to change everything. So I, I was I was very invested emotionally and publicly. So you know, it, my face was hurt as well as my heart. Like I, I just was I was I was broken. And uh, you know, also there's a lot of people that gave so much of themselves to this business, and the truth of the matter is we didn't end uh, as friends, which is which is horrible because yeah. when you do something like this with someone it, it, it should form a really close bond but you know I always say that everybody's always there on your doorstep when you open a place so congratulations to our Washima as soon as something shuts like I remember the amount of journalists that knocked on my door when FTW opened and they're like hey yeah like, and your photos everywhere and you're feeling good and that sort of thing and then when something bad happens literally Zip. It's fucking crickets. Well, to your face, but there's certain people that are just waiting and hoping almost that almost take glee in your failure. You oh, know trust what me, I mean? I've, I've like, read five hundred Victoria. Yeah, like, I've read five hundred Victoria stuff. Yeah, no man, it's five hundred Victoria. Yeah, those guys. Uh, yeah, no, it's it, it's it's hard. You know, you know, you're the one who's out there putting yourself out there, and these people that don't take any risk just love to to throw the stones. That's still been an issue for me, and I think uh, I know I've been on your back about listening to more Gary Vee mm. as much as possible. <laughs> it's just that I listen to him when I'm walking the dog mm-hmm. or driving in the car, and so, um, and I still have my bad days. I still have my bad days all, 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 like, all the time, but um, for me, uh, pushing through it and just always continuing to remember the, the people that made trash talk me, and there's been certain things that have happened this year that have like hit me deep and hard, and I'll talk about that off recorder (laughs) but um, I just try and remember that they're not going to be there when I'm on my deathbed and they're not going to be there they all want to be with my success but everybody seems to want to see you fail as well I think the restaurant industry goes back to that passion of a business thing because I think I talk about it's like we all we're people pleasers and if you're not if you're in this industry not to and you're not a people pleaser there's like there's an issue and so like it comes down to customers staff like Work, people you work with, all these sort of things, and you want to keep everybody happy. And then when you get into the business side of things, oh, when you don't keep everybody happy, it just guts you. Because well, it's impossible to keep everyone yeah. happy. That's the issue. And I'll tell you what you're just saying. I've again started this industry at age 14, and I've said yes to everyone for so long that I almost I feel like I've lost a piece of myself yeah. because not everyone is right. Yeah. And just and please, I don't want to make that sound like I don't appreciate my regular clientele and. But they don't understand that Earl's and Starbucks have really created an anti-restaurant. It's not symbiotic anymore. Right. It's a one-way street. It's almost borderline parasitic. Well, customers aren't always right. And I I mean that in the kindest possible vernacular. But it's just that there's so many logistics they don't understand that you can't say yes to everything. This doesn't always work. But, uh, you know, if I had a bad, if I had a customer that left unhappy, I cared so much that I would literally have it in my brain for like, exactly. you know, I, it, like I, I feel it. Like if you're out there, if, you're, if you take your wife for an anniversary dinner, a lot of people don't go out the way you and I go out. It's a very special thing. And if they, if they go out for this very special, memorable night out and it ends in a dissatisfactory experience for them like the only person really well personally you take well you take it personally even though it could be in a myriad of things the kitchen got crushed it might have nothing to do with me at all but them leaving unhappy it's like a it's a wound on my heart I don't want to be the guy who ruins someone's birthday or anniversary or 
and you know some people take it you know more more personally than it needs to be taken but when you do it twice a year it's, yeah. it's has more significance right yeah, I think like it goes back to we're, we're born people pleasers and to not please someone in our day to day life is such a like horrible thing I don't think now that I consult and I'm sort of away from everything now I try and kind of even happier that I don't deal face to face I do a lot of stuff like not so much but even then like face to face with clients and stuff changes a lot of stuff so have you got plans? I'm working on a few things. None of them has taken full root yet, so I don't know which one will, but I'm kind of working on a few things. I'm going to backtrack for one second, and you asked what do I think you should do when you fail. I, what you were talking about doing, I think getting up and, and doing something, like even working at PAGS, you know, I had the luxury that I still had a decent income, even though my, my new venture failed, so which luxury was it actually just let me wallow away in bed like I, you know I wish that I had to get up and work just because you know sometimes the momentum carries forth right yeah, yeah I think getting up and, and moving forward like my wife bless her heart has been through everything <laughs> and and she is the most understanding woman in the world I have no idea why I'm as lucky as I am to have her in my life because most people would have left a long time oh, ago. Dude, I feel so bad for my girlfriend this last two years. It's had to be pure hell for her. But I think, you know, if you take these small steps forward and it doesn't feel like you're doing and accomplishing anything, but, you know, six months you look back, you're like, holy shit, I've, look how far I've gone. You know what I mean? It, well, I think, that's, I think that's the hospitality industry in general, restaurants in general, is that you're always grinding. You always, they always feel like for six or 12 months you're treading water when you open a place. You feel like you're just, like, just getting there and you think you have good months you have bad months um, I think it never gets easier I don't think it ever ever gets easier well I don't know if I can do it again to be honest I am at that Me, point where I'm the same I'm not sure if I can do something again in Victoria well see I, I don't think it's Victoria specific for me, you say Victoria a lot yeah. um, when we have this conversation. This is not the first time I've heard you say that. Uh, you know, we definitely have a different market than anywhere else in the world, yeah. for sure. But I just, uh, I don't know. I, I This is my, you know, I failed with the Mint as well. Again, the, the term failure, I, I learned a heck of a lot, which I've applied to my life, which I do consider to be a victory. Um, you know, my dad would always say, hey, don't do this for this reason. And I'd have to do it anyways to learn the hard way, right? That's just how I went. But... Um, and your dad's relatively blunt with those sort of things too, right? Yeah, I mean, you've seen my dad. <laughs> Every time you brought some super special whiskey, like, nah, not as good as Crown. I'm like, oh my God. You're like jumping through these hoops. I wanted to smother him with a pillow. <laughs> yeah. uh, I didn't know for me, I just don't think I wanted to do anything in Victoria um, for other reasons uh, that's not the, the market or the people like I get I get people asking me all the time like when are you going to do your next place when are you going to do your next place um, just for me and my headspace right now I'm really happy being back at school and doing the consulting stuff that I do and BC Spirits I'm writing my third book now well because you're doing tons of other cool stuff yeah. it's not yeah. like you're not doing I mean you're one of the most innovative people grinders I've ever met man. Like, I, tr I just try and stay as busy as possible and like I launched an online bar tool platform a little while ago and that's been doing really well so just weird crazy glassware and tools I saw that because I, I, I was, was like, like of course you well, are Canadian bartenders outside of Victoria Vancouver's got a store but they really don't get like access to these things and right. like I'm still just getting it in from, the, from China and like where everybody else gets it from but like I just want to make sure it's fully attainable and at a good price for bartenders so that because as geeks I'm sure chefs are similar too it's like I really want this knife 
and the owner's like, <laughs> no, I'm going to go down to Russell exactly. and Hendrix and get you a $40 yeah. knife. Exactly. No, you can buy that yourself. Oh, I can't afford that. Well, there's your $40 freaking right. knife from Russell Hendrix. Exactly. And so, like, all these geeks go to the manager and it's like, oh, these, this, here's my list of tools. I'm like, yeah, I'm not paying $40 for a spoon. Like, I'm not paying $40 for a bar spoon. Sorry, we're going to go to, like... But they're, you know, a good bartender's like a chef, though. You know what I mean? And they need their tools. They do. But I'm I'm doing a few seminars next year at a few big expos that are a bit more mainstream than my usual um, about like the cocktail culture and bar tending culture and how owners usually negate the use of the bar properly right. and like cheap out with these. They give $50,000 for interior designer, $75,000 for an architect, and then buy everything from Costco from yeah. behind the bar. And you're like, ah. Right. And then they call me and like, can you create a cocktail menu? I'm like, yeah, but it's not going to be anything special. Sorry. Oh, well, good luck with all your plans, man. I appreciate you finally Thanks. sitting down. I know I've been hounding you for like <laughs> six, 12 months. Yeah, I know, man. I'm really excited that we actually finally did it. Like I said, I listened to some of your podcasts, and uh, I'm glad I can be part of it. Because I, I believe in you. Thank you, right. buddy. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, Shifters. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, if you're listening, whatever platform you're on, give me a good rating, subscribe, listen along. Uh, I'm going to keep going. I really enjoy sitting down with people and learning where they're from, what they did, and how they got to where they were. So if you love it, give me a good five stars. If you don't, give me one and I'll try harder.